0: hello and welcome to imi's talking leadership podcast i'm your host Hugh and today we're talking about foreign direct investment in Ireland a sector that employs 245,000 people directly and many more indirectly the change in Ireland's economy can be quite neatly traced back to the 80s and 90s when a proactive policy was put in place to attract foreign direct investment with IDA Ireland leading the charge and today i'm joined by central players in the industry Mary Buckley executive director at IDA Ireland and Paul Ryan, a Senior Director of Engineering Operations in Qualcomm, one of those Irish subsidiaries of FDI companies generating such vital economic activity. I'm also joined by our very own Julie Ryan. Hi, Julie. Hi, you. Who I'll be talking to after we hear from Paul and Mary to discuss the challenges in the FDI sector she's gleaned from her research and the Leading with Strategic Intent program her customized solutions team put together and ran last year. So hope you enjoy the show. Mary, so first of all, welcome. How are you?
1: Good morning, Hugh. I'm very well. Thank you.
0: So I must say, putting together the questions for you, uh, I realized you must have some pretty major challenges ahead. Um, I saw various figures, but there's there's roughly 250,000 people in Ireland directly employed by FDI companies, and then another 200,000 sort of linked to that FDI investment. It's a lot of pressure to get these next steps right.
1: Yeah, we have at the end of. T- t- 2019 to 2019, uh, we had 245,000 people directly employed in the multinational sector here in Ireland. And that was an all-time high for us in our 70-year history. Our client companies continue to have a hugely positive effect on employment here, and we have a multiplier effect. So for every 10 jobs that are created in an FDI company, there is a knock-on effect in the Irish economy of about eight jobs being created um, in subsupply and in other services, et cetera, that are utilized by the FDI base. So at the end of 2019, as I said, there was direct employment to, of 245,000 people employed in just over 1,500 companies here. And mm. with the indirect employment of about 196,173, that translates to about 441,000 people in jobs supported by foreign direct investment here in ireland
0: so so it's, it's a it's a really it's more than just a significant part of the workforce it's a really big chunk so let's start with that eagle eyed view after the massive upheaval this year what are you and ida seeing in the foreign direct investment landscape in ireland
1: Uh, Yeah, Hugh, and uh, I think one of the things that we've done this year in our mid-year review is we've talked a little bit about our performance year to date. Mm. Um, So I'll just give you a flavor for that and talk a little bit then about the environment, obviously, that we're in. So our CEO recently announced our results for the first half of this year. And obviously, in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic, it was very encouraging that Ireland was able to secure 132 new investments. Mm. Uh, which is a significant number in the first six months of this year. Uh, And they they were one really against a backdrop of our global business being Mm. um, impacted from January in Asia, and then the increased upheaval across all of our major source markets uh, Mm. at the first half of this year. And all of that really unfolded then, as you know. Uh, So as I said, we have 132 investments in the first half of this year which uh, compares to 140 investments on the first half of 2019. So we've seen a 6% decrease. And in that regard, this year, we'd expect that creating, on the back of those 132 investments, about 9,500 jobs. So for the first half of this year, you know, that was a very good performance. It was a Mm. strong performance. And I think it highlights the value proposition that we have. And the resilience of the FDI sector here. But I would also have to absolutely emphasize that we have no room for complacency mm. because the global economic climate within which we're, we're operating now is extremely challenging. Um, and if you look at the international bodies and what they're forecasting on the back of COVID-19 uh, and the uh, in the form of global growth uh, yeah. and FDI flows, there will be significant challenges and mm. um UNCAD estimates that you know globally the impact of FTI flows in 20 and 2020 20 and 21 will be severe, you know, potentially cutting global imp- investments by up to 40 wow. percent. Now that's very early to say what the ultimate effect of that will be on our outturn at the end of this year and yep. next year. But I think it's absolutely signaling and it's undoubtedly going to exert downward pressure on job creation and there will indeed on our existing base of companies be increased job losses and I think this is in tandem with the smaller number of FDI projects globally that you know we were in an FDI environment that even before the crisis was intensely competitive
0: yeah of course and I suppose when you, when you look at it in that way in in competition when you compare Ireland to others do you think we're more resilient than other open economies um, or are we going to be hit just as just as hard as anybody?
1: It's um, very difficult to say at this point. You know, FDI is definitely here in Ireland for the most part. It's resilient. But again, it's not immune.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, it's very early days. And I, I think the other side of it to it is there's, you know, obviously this prolonged battle against the virus is obviously can change the situation at any stage for our companies here or elsewhere and companies are dealing, you know, with supply side and demand side shocks, et cetera. So, you know, we have been hit, obviously, and we're going to see some impact in particular on automotive, on aviation, on those sectors that are aligned with tourism and hospitality as well. But we have a very strong value proposition at the same time. And uh, obviously, I think that's hugely important for us. Um, And, you know, just on that, we have a lot of good reasons why companies uh, are locating here and why it will be, you know, it's continued to be a very successful location. Our business culture and our pro-enterprise policies, our educated pool of talent is just, you know, excellent. Mm -hmm. And of course, we can't ignore our membership of the EU. We have a lot of very good sectoral clusters around the country as well. Uh, And I think there are many of the reasons why companies choose to come here to invest here and why they will operate here into the future.
0: I I wonder even um, just because obviously a big part of IDA's remit is sort of uh, regionalizing business. You know, it's not it's it's not all focused on Dublin. So will it help that sort of uh, pushing business outside of Dublin, you know, allow people to be more flexible, work in the country? What are the challenges associated with that, do you think?
1: Uh, or we or have, what, we, what
0: can Ireland can do to to counteract those challenges?
1: Uh, you mean the challenges of
0: of I suppose people working from home, um, working out in the country, um, access to services, accesses to stuff like broadband. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and one of the things that we've got in in that sense from our clients in the whole area of feedback, as I said, you know, with multinational companies, they have. Operations right across the globe. So they're always comparing, uh, you know, corporates are always comparing one location with another. You know, every company is looking at how they perform in their own location versus how they're performing with others. And our feedback from our clients suggests that uh, remote working has largely worked well in Ireland. And it reflects both, I think, on the resilience of our client companies that are here, on the skills and the flexibility of the talent of people that are here in Ireland. But our telecommunications infrastructure during mm-hmm. the pandemic has obviously held up very well as well. And that's been uh, uh, the, the feedback from from our clients. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, you know, you, you can't be complacent. And we always have to be continuing to enhance our value proposition for our clients.
0: Um, and talking about complacency, um, beyond the pandemic, um, Brexit is looming on the horizon. Um, can you just tell our listeners how IDA Ireland are preparing for Brexit and where those preparations stand now? It must be pretty difficult to have a defined position while negotiations are, you know, still ongoing.
1: Well, obviously, the continuing uncertainty around Brexit certainly adds to the challenges faced by clients, by companies, and industry. You know, uh, in the midst of uh, obviously COVID nineteen, uh, and it does bring obviously its challenges to the Irish economy and. There are certain sectors that are more exposed to Brexit than than others. And obviously, particularly companies that have deep linkages uh, with the United Kingdom uh, market, uh, et cetera. So, for us in IDA Ireland, uh, we've been working very closely with our client companies and trying to work with them and identifying and managing the risks um, that they face. But also, we've been obviously working very closely with our stakeholders across government. Uh, In government departments over the past four years uh, in particular, since the UK announced its departure and indeed prior to uh, the UK uh, announcing its departure. So I suppose on the positive side as well in IDA, we have 92 individual Brexit related investments uh, with almost 6,000 jobs associated with these investments since the UK's uh, referendum, which was in June 2016. So there are other numbers of um, companies as well who, you know, because of Brexit and the importance of the EU, uh, it has been part of their considerations in making their decisions to choose Ireland as a location to invest either for the first time or to expand Mm. their activities here. So I suppose for us, it's a reminder of how our EU membership and our very stable pro enterprise policies You know, they do appeal to our investors and our investors clearly and particularly in the environment uh, of Brexit are looking for certainty. And I think post-Brexit, Ireland's economic and our political stability, along with a continued commitment to the EU, is a core part of our value proposition to our overseas investors. And as companies seek uh, and continue to seek solutions, be they Brexit related, they're always looking to ensure that there aren't you know, any additional cost and that it's the least disruption to their business. And in that regard, you know, Ireland offers a base from which to sustain access to the single market and obviously to, to minimise this uncertainty and to uh, help for them, these multinational companies, to grow their business and for our clients to grow their businesses
0: here in Ireland yeah and, and this is a this is a quite a, a fundamental question, but I've had fierce debate on, on this over the last couple of months. Will brexit make Ireland more investment friendly in comparison to UK or less so do you think?
1: I think we've seen already the significant number of investments that has been won on the back of brexit and as companies look to see what's happening, we're in a very competitive world. FDI is highly competitive and there are numbers of locations. Within Europe that have been competing very, very heavily to win uh, Brexit-related investments, and I think it's safe to say that we've held our own in that regard with the level yep. of investments that we've have had and Ernst and Young has highlighted, in particular times, the success of Ireland in winning these Brexit-related investments. And you know, with the strong value proposition that we have, with the strong, very strong base of companies that we do have here, I think we're poised to continue. To win Brexit-related investments. And uh, the the question really, I suppose, uh, is uh, as times move on and as companies are making those decisions, it'll be interesting to see how many more need to be made. A lot of companies have been over the last four years uh, and longer making these Brexit-related decisions. Mm. Uh, So a lot have been made. And they now become part and parcel of their overall location activity. It's now part and parcel of it, as mm. against something that is, is very specific. And that's why I alluded to already that we're now seeing companies who who have, you know, the EU access, access to the EU and the single market market as a key consideration as part of others. And I think that will continue into the
0: future. And, and, and on that point, one of the reasons we were able to send you an email and ask you onto the podcast to talk about all of this is that IMA and IDA Ireland have partnered on a program called Leading with Strategic Intent. How does that program fit into the range of solutions IDA are delivering and creating?
1: You know, it's I, I think it's hugely important. Uh, this program, uh, Leading with Strategic Intent, is one that has been developed and it's been developed uh, for the leadership teams in the Irish operations of multinational multinational companies. And and I think we have a terrific success story here over over the last 70 years of Irish leadership. And for us, this program will be a huge, and is hugely important to continue that Irish success story. And I think if we look, and I've just said, there is unprecedented change at the moment. Companies need to be constantly adapting to the global business environment, continuously focusing on new business models uh, and activities uh, and of course, you know the ability to be agile um, and to be flexible is critically important and for for these uh, for our client companies here in Ireland, it's hugely important that they're aligned with the strategies of their corporates and that of course that they're adding value and being relevant. Um, and in that regard, corporates um, have sister sites, right, all over the world. So that awareness, that knowledge and understanding and the ability, I think, for our Irish, our Irish leadership teams to be able to develop their own strategy, uh, to be able to become more strategic in doing the day job well, but looking beyond that mandate through innovation, through new ideas. Um, And uh, developing that roadmap or strategy to help to achieve this, not on their own, but with their own teams working with Mm. them, working very closely with other leadership teams in other sectors across Ireland, where they're having shared experiences, solving challenges and, you know, being able to articulate, to understand and to be able to engage more proactively and to be able to network and influence more proactively with corporate corporate is hugely important in embedding and having a long term sustainable uh, operation um, here in Ireland and I think the leadership teams that are on this program have found that very beneficial in that regard.
0: And I was wondering, um, let's talk about those Irish uh, leadership teams that come onto the program. We'll be talking to one shortly. Um, how are you seeing them rise to the challenges they're facing at the moment? Just general anecdotal evidence within the marketplace.
1: Well, I, I think that across the board, if you just look at the resilience uh, of our client base, um, who are working very hard uh, to ensure that they're um, relevant. Uh, to ensure that they're able to adapt even to, with COVID, the ability to have a, a brand new working environments where they were able to adapt flexibly to changing from their work environment to being able to support remote working here in Ireland, et cetera. I mm-hmm. think that has shown that they have been resilient, that it has worked well for them, um, and that they're you know, ensuring that they're, retaining, transforming their own work environment and indeed seeking out new ideas and uh, new innovations throughout all of this. I think when you're looking at those uh, at the Leading with Strategic Intent program, I would like to think that people have been better, uh, that the, the executives who have done this program have found that it's been easier for them to to try to manage the environment that they're in and to understand it and to be able to uh, tweak their own roadmap to uh, respond uh, in an agile manner.
0: Mary, thanks so much for being on the show. I know you guys are so busy, um, so thanks so much for taking the time.
1: It's my pleasure, Uh, thank you very much.
0: So Paul, um, hi, first of all, Um, let's start with the basics. Can you give the listeners a quick introduction to Qualcomm so that they can put everything into context?
3: Um, Yeah, I can, Hugh, and and hi to yourself as well. So Qualcomm is a a key leader in the field of wireless communications. We're inventing new breakthrough technologies, as well as the products that power mobile devices around the world. Mm -hmm. And in Ireland, uh, Qualcomm has a key engineering design center in Cork. Uh, This is a a Greenfield site that we opened in uh, August 2013, and now we have uh, 300 plus employees and, and still growing. Excellent. And, and those teams uh, in Quagam Cork are across IT, HR, and a very large engineering presence. So in IT, who were actually the initial team into the Greenfield site back in 2013, we've teams working in cybersecurity, Infrastructure and End User Services, uh, the Office of the CIO, Architecture and Design, and Data Engineering. And just to give some context of what those engineering teams work on, they're working on areas of uh, analog mixed signals, security, artificial intelligence, Mm -hmm. modeling, validation, design automation, automotive and physical design. Um, so, so plenty to keep us busy.
0: Hugh. <laughs>
3: absolutely. And so,
0: the company was originally started in the U.S., was it?
3: Yeah, headquartered in San Diego. Um, Thirty-five years old this year.
0: Okay, so it is. It is very much a established company at this stage. Exactly. And, and you were one of the companies that took part in the leading for strategic intent program. Um, we were just talking about it with uh, with Mary from IDA. What were the challenges you were facing at the time that led you to make that investment, really?
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I call them challenges necessarily, but certainly areas where, you know, we felt we could always, um, you know, improve on and, and take more input on. The first one was predominantly uh, telling our story or showing our value mm. and, and learning from others, you know, ways of doing that. I think the the main one really was that you know you have the Irish system has you know the IDA at the forefront and yeah. and you discussed that with Mary and and various clusters and ecosystems on the ground and it's fantastic at attracting you know landing and helping to bed in uh, kind of wonderful you know foreign direct investments yeah. and and what I found was that you know everyone is so willing to help and um, but it, it's tending towards a pull or a leverage model. So the help is there when you look for it. Mm. But I've always advocated for kind of more structure in this area, you know, learning from others' success mm. and adapting those learnings to, you know, the different phases of growth that you have. So so then when the, the IMI and the IDA put together this great program, we were kind of at the front of the queue. Uh, so Hugh, a long-winded way of saying really to bring more structure to our strategy development.
0: Yeah, and I was, I was interested in that, you, you sort of talked about a community in the FDI community here. Um, I've never worked for an FDI company, so how does it work in practice? Um, what's the give and take like? Where does an Irish site, I presume it's very different all over, but where does an Irish yeah. site sit in the food chain? And let's talk beyond uh, Qualcomm here. I know you have a, a long background in FDI companies.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, a lot of it's kind of situational, I suppose. Yeah. So, for us, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we started as a Greenfield site. And, and at the beginning, that has a feel of a startup, mm-hmm. but you've got the backing of a large organization. So lots of structure to benefit from with HR, finance IT, and, and lots of mentors to leverage them yeah. um, from that point of view. But, but as you evolve, you know, through the growth phases, um, you know, that, that that backing and that support remains throughout, but, but you kind of, you know, you lose that feel of a startup, and and that and that's good because you mm-hmm. know it's all successful growth. I think on the give and take, you know, obviously, time zones is a big thing. Yeah, and um, you know, especially if you're moving from an indigenous company, you know, into into an, an FDI model, um, you know, there's that short window of overlap, um, you know, Lots for late
0: th- night meetings, I suppose.
3: Yeah, like the West Coast, you know, for mm-hmm. us is is eight hours. Um, so you've got kind of that two to three hour overlap, and then, you know, the reality is you're working for an American company, right? So, mm. so those meetings, you know, are are kind of you know do go on into the night. But, but to be fair, the company, you know, in our case, has great experience uh, of being a multinational and being you know presence everywhere in the world. Yeah. So there is a lot of give and take on that, um, you know, to, to suit those times. I think. You know the big thing that comes through, and I mean this is true of any company, but I think in the FDI model is really you know developing that high performance in a virtual world, mm-hmm. and and the key to that really is communications, you know, and kind of mastering a, or becoming a black belt in you know <laughs> virtual communications, as it were. And um, two things really that that I find in my experience is. You get it, um, you know, depending on the the method of communication that you pick, you know, if it's email or, or that type of thing, you get a lot of lost in translation. Yeah. Um, you know, especially in a multicultural or an international, intercultural environment. Um, and the other thing you miss is those kind of after meetings.
0: Yeah, of uh, course. Um,
3: you know, and you depending on how how good people are at minutes and agendas and that type of thing, you you can kind of you lose that. So what becomes very important then is your ability to navigate the organization and and find out where that knowledge that's been accumulated over time sits and and connecting to it. And um,
0: I, like, I like that phrase, navigating the organization, and um, because when I was thinking about it earlier, it really struck me. It must be so easy for an Irish subsidiary to become sort of an asset on the balance sheet, isn't it? For an international well, yeah. organization rather than a sort of strategic driver. How do you change the conversation to become more sort of two-way?
3: Yeah, I think um, the first thing you need to do, like, is build your foundation, right? So you really have to prove your worth. And and in doing that, you know, building that kind of trust, you become key to continued success. And, and that takes a lot of time and a lot of in, uh, investment on on your part and, and the part of everyone else that's in the Irish subsidiary. Um, and one of the key things is, you know, Trust, like, is really about reputation and action. Yeah. So, you know, you really have to kind of, you know, get it right in the first instance and then deliver added value on top of that. And I think in those early stages, you know, be, as you're proving your worth, it's it's also key that you're not seen to go rogue. Right? Yeah. Like experimentation, innovation is commended and required, but it shouldn't distract from that foundational value um, from that point of view. And... You know, this this is an area where kind of I have a, a lot of thoughts and and points and that. So Hugh, stop me uh, at any point <laughs> if I'm if I'm going rogue on the answer. Um, and <laughs> but but you know, one of the things that I really think and you you picked up on it earlier is um, connections, connections, connections. Yeah. Right. It's all about you know I break them into kind of four areas. Is you have your functional connections and that's part of the job you're doing. Um, but you also need to connect to, you know, who are the people who are areas that get things done? You know, simple things like, yeah. you know, needing a new laptop or, or anything like that. You know, just really finding out who, who are those. And then, you know, while the functional success I talked about earlier, you know, getting the execution side right, you also need to find a way of hooking into the roadmap and the directions. Yeah. And a lot of that sometimes can be those after meetings. And then I think most importantly as well, you need some back channels. You know, the people will tell you, give you a read on what was really happening in that meeting. You know, yeah. if it's by teleconference, it can be hard to pick up um, on, on kind of some of those things. And I think one of the interesting things that came out of the course itself, um, which came from a lot of the companies was, you know, don't, don't kind of sit back on your laurels, you know, or wait for opportunities to come your way. You have to stay competitive and you have mm. to keep an eye on the future. So you should always be out there telling your story, but more importantly, seeking out those opportunities.
0: So it's that sort of part of the program. Um, I, I was just saying, I was about to ask you. It must be hard just to get advocates in HQ on your side. That sort of after meetings that you were talking about.
3: Yeah, and and it's you know some repetitiveness here. Just you know going through what's important in that, and kind of you know mapping out the stakeholders, uh, mm. the kind of hidden sponsors, those type of things. And, and again, it's like being that social anthropologist, you know, is finding your way through the organization, you know, how it works, who are the important people. Um, and then it's really about kind of building ambassadors, both within, yeah. you know, within the Cork uh, employee base, as well as those over in San Diego and in other sites around the world. And and kind of making sure there's a consistent, you know, uh, to use a, an American term, elevator pitch. Mm. Um, but you know that everyone, our our own uh, workforce, those who are visiting, you know, they all understand that story uh, from that point of view. And I think you know one of the things that also came out from from other companies on the course is. You know, visits into the Irish subsidiaries are very important, yeah, and present lots of opportunities that that you don't want to miss. You know, mm-hmm. and and part of that is meeting the workforce and hearing those those kind of consistent stories, um, you know, from from the ambassadors that we have on site.
0: Absolutely. Um, let, let's move beyond that now. When I talk to people about the program, mm-hmm. two words kept coming through: resilience and influence. Um, We'll start with resilience, because it's pretty high on the agenda for most organizations Mm -hmm. at the moment. I wonder if the work and thinking you did during the program affected your response to when the pandemic hit. Um, I presume you weren't better prepared, but were you better better prepared in your mindset to respond to a shock like this?
3: Yeah, I I think there's certain um, kind of skill sets and and resilience that, you know, the program and also your experience in, in the FDI space give you that that definitely helped in our response or, or made it made it stronger. I think agility is one of the things um, that, you know, is a great kind of uh, unique selling point for, in one way for subsidiaries in Ireland. You know, someone mentioned it to me once where we can turn on a sixpence. Yeah.
0: Um,
3: you know, and that agility definitely helped in the response to that. And the other thing which came through in one of the modules is that whole uh, yes and, um, approach to things you know so we don't you know tends not to be in our nature to say no but we do have an and with the yes so yes yeah. and to get to achieve that I need XYZ but I think one of the things that struck me you know uh, in this whole area was that Irish subsidiaries are are used to working in a virtual world That's yeah. kind of their bread and butter and that really helped a lot you know especially on the communication side um you know that we're we're kind of used to it and now what you what you have is that the whole kind of of that multinational you know not just ourselves but others are, have moved to that environment even where they have a big physical presence and um, so that that definitely helped from that point of view
0: so you were telling everyone on the zoom calls where the where the features
3: were And then
0: influence, um, and specifically the Irish subsidiary becoming more strategically influential. Have you had different sorts of conversations as a result? The the first thing I was thinking was those Zoom calls flying back and forth across the Atlantic trying to figure all this out. Mm -hmm. Did you position yourselves a bit differently in those conversations than maybe you would have before?
3: Yeah, I think I'm not sure we purposely did that, but we Mm. certainly found ourselves, um, you know, in in a different position with them. I think I mentioned it just when we were talking about resilience, but we'd almost, you know, move to a common purpose and common environment. Mm. Right? So the purpose, you know, is really about maximizing employee safety and minimizing business disruption. Now, I'm not saying we never had a common purpose before, mm. but but it really brought it together. And it crystallizes it, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And And then you've got that common move to a virtual environment and that's where we're, you know, well capable of making contributions because we live in that world the whole time. Um, and I think the, you know, the other thing that that um, came through is, you know, more of helping them understand our environment, right? Safety protocols, okay. one size doesn't fit all um, from that point of view. But as I said, it was almost like a level playing field with those two common purposes of, of safety and, and minimizing business disruption
0: yeah and, and one of the key is, so you talked about sort of crystallization for me one of the key elements of the program was the strategic blueprint which sort of seemed to be the sort of crystallization of all your thinking I, i've been reliably told it's not a business plan uh, <laughs> did, did that help inform you how you react as, as an organization reason i keep going back to that disruption it just seems to be the perfect example of a shock that ho- could overturn plans created at an international level and does yeah. affect you guys
3: yeah I think um what came through for me uh, you know really strongly in the in the uh, course was kind of intercultural leadership mm. um you know I'd done a course on that before around organizational behavior, and it is so important to understand you know the best ways of communicating and influencing in that intercultural world mm. and you know in building the kind of strategic uh, blueprint, there was a lot of focus in this area. Um, you know, as you know, knowing, knowing how they feel, almost like developing a, a stakeholder lens, right? Seeing things through yeah. their eyes. Um, But, you know, the other two things which I've mentioned earlier really is, you know, that agility or ability to turn on a sixpence. And I think certainly in a lot of uh, the FDI sense, you know, the digital world these days, um, a lot of us are used now to just change on a constant basis. Yeah. You know, almost on a daily basis, and that, you know, that that kind of muscle you develop, that flexibility, and um, certainly helps. You know, and then and that kind of get, again came through strongly in the courses. Even when you've developed, you know, the strategic uh, blueprint, you you need to be prepared to change it. Yeah. Kind of, you know, almost on a monthly basis. So, so I think that helped us respond as well. Is you know, we're we're used to that kind of constant change environment.
0: So uh, someone said to me uh, that this program was the night job. In other words, it was <laughs> day work. Um, when you sit here today, uh, amongst all the madness of 2020, and consider mm-hmm. everything that's come since, was it worth it?
3: I think so, yeah. Um, someone, someone jokingly said to me, it's actually the third job rather than the night job <laughs> <laughs> in an FTI world. Um, but yeah, I mean, one of the things which really struck me, um, you know, when we went through the kind of ramp ups was, it, it was you know almost like validation so there's mm-hmm. there's nothing groundbreaking you know there's nothing to fear from the course of you know i won't be able to keep up with that but but it definitely you know with that validation it definitely added structure to our existing uh, approach i think one of the things which you know i don't know if it was mentioned when you were talking to mary a key element of it was mentorship mm. You know, and we got great support and accommodation from from Northern Trust with that and I learned a lot, you know, even though we're in different spaces, you know, finance versus ICT. A lot of the, the challenges, the successes, the approaches are very similar. Um, it's it's so often
0: you know, it's, it's often the meaning of two different approaches, though, isn't it? That can create a, a third way, yeah.
3: they'd say. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where some of the learnings come through. Uh, I think two other things, you know, one which um nearly every every company that participated mentioned was that going into the program you know there was almost that standoff element of networking because you know people are concerned about uh, company confidential information mm. but again when you're dealing with those generic subjects you know and, and and common kind of challenges the networking element of it is actually what came through as yeah. you know a fantastic thing Um, you know and we're looking forward to the forum being continued with meetups and alumni approaches, you know, once we get out of this uh, new world we're in. So, so
0: you're all uh, still in contact with each other?
3: Yeah, well, the the connections you make, as I mentioned earlier, you know, um, you kind of had those common problems. And, and the other thing which was good about that networking was people coming from different disciplines within their organization. So you may come up against something, you know, in terms of you know, uh, talent mobility, you know, accessing talent in the European Union and you know it would sit with you that that someone had brought that up, that they had faced the same challenges, but got over them in such a way and reaching. You can reach out to them now uh, through these connections so that that for us has been great.
0: So after all that, um, what's next for Qualcomm in in Ireland and, and beyond, I suppose?
3: Yeah, continued growth and, and success. Um, you know, one of the things that, that a lot of companies have found and ours the same is that, you know, we operate in a digital world. That, that's kind of our environment and our
2: mm. our,
3: uh, our area. And that has helped, you know, us um, continue our success through through the pandemic and beyond. Um, so I think for, for Qualcomm in Ireland, you know, with that continued growth and success, it's keeping the eye on staying relevant. You know, the blueprint doesn't change um, dramatically, but it does get adapted to make sure you're competitive and and kind of staying relevant to the company.
0: Lovely. Uh, I think we'll leave it there, Paul. Thanks so much for being on
3: the show. Thank you very much, Hugh, for the opportunity. Really enjoyed the, the chat.
0: So, Julie, we just heard from Mary and Paul there. I was just wondering, are those challenges that they were outlining, were those similar to the ones you were hearing uh, back when you were designing the Leading for Strategic Content programme?
2: Yes, they were. There are sectors that just shift the dial so significantly uh, for the Irish economy that uh, they really need focus. And Mm. our intention for this programme all along was to to support companies in how they affect a greater level of strategic influence globally. And that's what the the aim of this programme is all about, giving them the frameworks, the thinking and the skills indeed to work cohesively as a senior team to really shape and write the next chapter of their own organisations in Ireland.
0: Super, and it, uh, it's it's very much an industry-led program, isn't it? I remember being involved with one of the the early focus groups. I think it was back in twenty
2: eighteen. Yes, it's been on our radar uh, since twenty eighteen. But it actually the idea for this particular program it spanned over more than a decade. We had been working with so many top teams, senior teams of FDI companies, and we had this sense that while they operated very well as a senior operations team, Mm. they could probably do with some support on strategizing, preparing for and being comfortable with their strategic positioning as it related to their global organization. And most importantly, how to establish a value proposition for their own organizations, not just why Ireland, but why the particular company in Ireland and and how could that compete both uh, globally and w- w- within the global operation.
0: That's interesting. So I, I asked Paul the question, it must be quite easy for an Irish subsidiary just to sort of be handed a strategy and told this is what you do. So you're, through this programme you're looking to create more of a two-way conversation and to feed back into the strategy.
2: Really, yes, I think that's 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 important because uh, often and there's a great article written by um, a well-known academic and it's entitled Overcoming Your Victim Mentality, and there is this sense that strategy is created. Uh, globally and yeah. uh, gets gets handed down, uh, disseminated across the subsidiary organisations, where in fact there is an awful lot that subsidiary organisations can do and do do uh, mm-hmm. around their own thinking, business modelling and indeed strategising and centres of excellence that they themselves can create to inform and affect the, the level of
0: influence they have globally. Um, on the next iteration of the program, are there any significant changes you'll be making based on, you know what you heard from the participants in the first program and indeed you know what's happened in the world?
2: Sure. Well, this particular programme is going to be rolled out. It's going to start to be rolled out virtually to best suit our our participating organisations, given the situation we're in at the moment. Uh, And that actually has meant that our access to mentors, this programme, a core element of this programme is that every senior team will have access to a mentor who will guide them and support them through their strategic visioning choice making and sense making these mentors are all former or current country managers who come with a incredible depth of experience and expertise uh, in, in supporting them so we've got access to that virtually which we probably mm. wouldn't have had if it, w- if it was face to face indeed awesome. we've also decided to really ramp up the work we're doing around uh, talent and strategic talent development and management for subsidiary organizations along with the stakeholder engagement piece uh, and driving innovation practices so these are all elements that we are more I suppose enhancing than introducing because they they went down so well with the previous audience.
0: Super um, and then for those listeners out there where you know foreign direct investment goes beyond just an interesting subject and, and want to get involved in the program what do they do?
2: So the first thing they do is, um, you know, reach out to ourselves or the IDA and they will have a, a have a contact person in the IDA who, who will they will be used to working with. We'd love to hear from them at, at IMI, share the brochure with them, give them the sense of the programme and uh, we'll take it from there. IDA are contributing considerable funding towards this programme and we'll guide them through every step of the way.
0: Lovely. And uh, for those looking to Google, it is the IMI Leading for Strategic Intent Programme with IDA Ireland. Julie, thank you so much for joining us today. And real pleasure.
2: Thanks, you.